President Doreen Wuho. Here. Commissioner Kimberly Brandon. Here. Commissioner John Burton. Here. Commissioner Dale Gilman. Oh, I see her there. Thank you. The San Francisco Port Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatishaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this place and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatishaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as caretakers, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland, and we wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatishaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. That brings us to item number two, approval of minutes for the February 8th, 2022 Port Commission meeting. Commissioners, is there a motion and a second to approve the minutes? So moved. So moved. Second. Okay, we have a motion and a second. Roll call vote, Carl, please. President Adams? Yes. Vice President Wuho? Yes. Commissioner Brandon? Yes. Commissioner Burton? Yeah. Commissioner Gilman? Commissioner, oh, I see, I see Commissioner Gilman nodding there. A yes. Okay. Motion is passed yes. unanimously. The minutes of the February 8, 2022 meetings are adopted. Item number three is the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Item number four is announcements. Please be advised that a member of the public has up to three minutes to make pertinent public comments on each agenda item, unless the Port Commission adopts a shorter period on any item. Please note that during the public comment period of each item, the moderator will instruct island participants to use the touchstone phone to register their desire for public comment, and an audio input will signal, or an audio prompt will signal to dial in participants when their audio input has been enabled for commenting. Please dial in when the item you wish to comment on is announced. Please note that if you're watching this meeting on SFGov TV streaming on the internet, there is a short broadcasting delay. And so when the item you want to comment on is announced, dial 1-415-655-0001 and then enter access code 249807430293029-POUND. And then mute the volume on your computer or television and listen only through your telephone, which is a live broadcast with no delay. And then when public comment on the item is announced, dial star three to raise your hand to signal that you would like to comment and then listen for an audio prompt to tell you that it is your turn to comment. And for meeting presenters and participants, please mute your microphones and turn off your cameras when you are not presenting. That brings us to item five, public comment on items not listed on the agenda. We will open the phone lines to take public comment on items not listed on the agenda. Jenica will provide instructions now. Thank you, President Adams. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on items not listed on the agenda. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. 
Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. President Adams, at this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Public comment is closed. Carl, next item, please. Item 6A is the executive director's report. Good afternoon, President Adams, Vice President Ruho, commissioners, port staff, and members of the public. I am Elaine Forbes, the executive director. First, I'm very excited to report that the waterfront plan is one step closer to completion. As you know, the plan sets land use and values framework and you will recall is the result of three years of community engagement. I'm very happy to, the, to report that the plan is in its final stages and is moving forward with a draft EIR, Environmental Impact Report. This EIR is a major milestone in the public process. The document analyzes the environmental effect of the updated goals and policies in the plan. The port is working with the San Francisco Planning Department who will publish the Waterfront Draft EIR on Wednesday, tomorrow, February 23rd, 2022. I invite the public to review and provide comments on the draft EIR from February 23rd through April 25th at the Planning Commission public hearing held on March 24th. The public comments may also be submitted at the Planning Commission hearing or in writing to the Planning Department anytime during the public comment period up to April 25th. The draft EIR, as well as the public engagement and comment opportunities, is available online on the Port and Planning Department websites. Port Commission approval of the waterfront plan will be final once the EIR is complete. I want to thank you commissioners for your leadership in our waterfront planning process. I want to thank our excellent and dedicated working group and of course to thank Diane Oshima and her team for this accomplishment. We look forward to bringing the plan to you later this year. Now today, my entire director's re report will be focused on our strategic plan and the specific two goals that relate to economic recovery and vitality. I have a presentation today on our, uh, on our economic strategies that the port will undertake in the next few years to ensure a stable, successful, and economically viable waterfront and port organization. It is time to update our 2021-2025 strategic plan to reflect these new and innovative strategies. If we could go to the next slide, please. My goal today is to update the Port Commission and public on the new economic recovery and growth strategies that will be implemented this year through 2025 that are designed to advance economic recovery to achieve a stable financial position. I would like also to report out on the innovative strategies to create an active, economically vibrant and successful waterfront and organization in this time of COVID-19. I want to acknowledge the key divisions, maritime, real estate and development, finance and administration, and engineering that developed revised objectives and strategies 
and I'd like to thank our entire port leadership team for working collaboratively to ensure that these goals and objectives have integration. Finally, a thank you to Kirsten Salvi who organized us all to accomplish this. If I could see the next slide, please. To recap, the port has seven goals in its strategic plan. These goals are economic recovery, economic growth, formerly called economic productivity, equity, resilience, sustainability, evolution, and engagement. Today, we will focus on economic recovery and economic growth. To the next slide, please. The port strategy has three strong pillars. Economic recovery sits foundationally on equity and the resilience pillars. These three strategies are integrated in all ongoing work. We have learned about these interconnections or how to multi-solve. Without considering equity and economic recovery, we are not building back better, to coin a phrase used now, and we are not taking the opportunity to create a vibrant waterfront for everyone. Without equity, we will not have a sustained recovery. And an economic recovery strategy without resilience will only be surface and will not withstand the test of time. Our economic recovery strategy needs to resolve our challenges in 2025 and plant the seeds to support the long game for our organization. And this needs to provide an equitable future that is resilient. If I could go to the next slide, please. <clears throat> the purpose of the port's strategic plan is to set our overall vision in the mission statement and define objectives and strategies that govern our work priorities and actions that advance the Port Commission's vision and mission and achieve Port Commission policy objectives for the waterfront. The plan guides the port's projects, programs, partnerships, stewardship work, and sets the port's allocations of resources for several years. <clears throat> to the next slide, please. I am proud that the updates to our economic sections of the strategic plan demonstrate coordinated strategy to address waterfront and enterprise challenges. It identifies foundational issues that must be addressed to meet port mission. It ensures an integrated approach to financial recovery and sets resourcing allocations. It holds leadership accountable to our team, our staff, to the public and to this commission, and it communicates ongoing work. Next slide, please. The strategic plan is a living document. It's a working document that will be updated to re reflect the port's ongoing strategy. We ensure that the plan is aligned with other key port documents, the waterfront plan, which I was just discussing, the 10-year capital plan, city policies, including the Burton Act, and we ensure that the plan is designed to recognize the shifts that COVID-19 has caused and the port's unprecedented financial outlook as a result. To the, to the next slide, please. So why do we need an update in our strategic plan? It's very good to report that we have made significant accomplishments advancing the plan this last year. I reported this out at our year-end 2021 uh, impact report, and you can find this report at sfport.com. While we have accomplished a lot to be proud of, 
Because of the continuing COVID-19 surges and changing public health conditions, we are very far from recovery. Our pre-pandemic revenues and visitor counts have yet to return. And as you know, the port is expecting at least a five-year recovery. We're so thankful to the American Rescue Plan stimulus funds. They give us a two-year reprieve from a very grim financial outlook. These funds provide this reprieve and it gives us an opportunity really to rethink and unlock innovative economic strategies. As you know, the funding allows us to restore cuts we made last year and to evolve projects and programs that were deferred. The budget before you today and the strategic plan updates I am discussing now reflect these early strategies. Commissioners, we are not out of the woods, but with your leadership, we will take each measured step and we should find our way to stable financial footing. To the next slide, please. <clears throat> Port Finance Director Nate Cruz presented this to you before. And I put it here again because it's a great visual that demonstrates the revenue and expense gap that COVID-19 has created. It reflects the ARPA stimulus reprieve and how it will write our books for two years. It allows us to reinvest in programs cut due to COVID. It shows the five-year recovery period expected and the growing $8 million shortfall we still need to solve for by 2025 and beyond. This organization had enormous wins, but challenges remain. To the next slide, please. So with that, I'm excited to jump in to the economic recovery goal and strategies. Our goal is develop and implement strategies to address the economic impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic and stabilize the port's financial position during an expected five-year recovery period. And we will accomplish this with three objectives, tenant recovery, targeted activation, and enterprise economic recovery. To the next slide, please. Our tenants. The port will work with tenants who struggle from COVID-19 continue to struggle, and we will attract new activities to ensure an economically vibrant waterfront. To the activation, we are going to implement policies and programs that attract diverse communities and activate the waterfront. We're going to use our pop-up RFQ to pursue concepts like community festivals, concerts, and other events with those respondents. Bringing people to the waterfront is key to the success of our tenants. To our leases, we are going to ensure tenant lease compliance, renewal, or termination by 2023. Getting into lease compliant is so important to us and to our tenants and to our future. To the next slide, please. Targeted activation. The port will implement economic strategies in waterfront neighborhoods to facilitate dynamic communities along the waterfront. This pandemic has really showed us the importance of investing in places. Fisherman's Wharf, where tenants to offer authentic fisher Fisherman's Wharf and San Francisco experiences. This includes strategies like off the boat fish sales and mobile vending program. Fisherman's Wharf, is struggling, the public wants to come to the wharf, and it is incumbent upon us with our tenants to prepare the wharf for return and revitalization. To parks and open space, 
build on the popularity of people's enjoyment of the waterfront outdoor spaces. Here we want to activate our parks and open spaces to further enhance our experiences and welcome more diversity. Strategies include advancing the YMCA partnership for Building 49. We now understand and have always understood that creating safe and inviting areas is key to our economic recovery. To the next slide, please. To, this is a very wordy slide, uh, but to port economic recovery. We're not just focused on external strategies. We're going to be looking internally to reduce projected deficits by fiscal year 2025 and beyond. To do that, first and foremost, we need to support and include our staff. We will identify efficiencies to sustain and improve delivery of key services. These efforts will yield midterm improvements, but are also very critical to sustain financial health in the long run. In our resource allocation uh, to our objectives, the budget includes an economic recovery czar. We need this person to develop and drive proposals that generate revenue, reduce costs, and uncover those operational efficiencies that hamper our staff. These include items that we've known for a long time need to happen, but they're harder to implement. Doing so means we need to have the discipline to turn away from urgent issues and have our leadership commitment to focus resources and sustain the tenacity to achieve operational efficiencies. Stakeholder engagement. We will collaborate with internal and external stakeholders to perfect our plans and to be ready for implementation. Project management. Our economic recoveries are will, pre will prepare an economic recovery plan in the, this year that identifies key initiatives, including benchmarks and tracking of those initiatives and the resulting financial performance. This plan will include selection and implementation of at least three strategies that combine generate three million of ongoing revenue enhancements or cost savings. You'll note we need to close an $8 million gap by 2025. And to our funding strategy, we'll work with federal and state de delegation this year to secure federal infrastructure grants and state funding for targeted capital investment that, invests, that advances our maritime business, reduce earthquake and flood risk, and protects key facilities for the public. We will need you port commissioners for your advocacy like we had in force for the, the American Rescue Plan dollars. We've certainly shown capacity here and your ongoing support is just so critical for our organization's success. These economic, the economic recovery goals and the objectives in the strategic plan enumerate how to recover from the COVID-19 economic impacts. To the next slide, please. Now to economic growth. Second goal. This goal and objectives enumerate how we will grow the business portfolio to create an, an economically successful and vibrant waterfront. We have set five strong objectives to ensure our organization flourishes to pre-pandemic revenues and beyond in the maritime portfolio, property portfolio, in our historic facilities, with our exceptional places, and capital. Next slide the maritime portfolio. Maritime has been so very important to the waterfront revival this last year and will continue to play a critical role in years to come. We will advance the maritime business to increase revenue and activities. And this spans from cargo to commercial fishing and water transportation. Cargo, 
maximize opportunities at our deep water cargo terminals. For crews, we need to evaluate facilities to support our expanding cruise business. We have the calls and we need to have the infrastructure and places to receive those calls. Pier 70 Shipyard, identify maritime opportunities for revitalizing select parcels at the shipyard. Here we have an interim leasing strategy that should bring us now near-term revenues. Uh, for piers 80 through 96 and backlands, we're pursuing federal and state grants to investigate the site improvements we need to increase leasability by 2025. For commercial fishing, we're preserving and enhancing commercial fishing at Fisherman's Wharf and Hyde Street Harbor. And to water transportation, we're expanding the port's water uh, transit system and promotion of waterfront of water transit. Next slide, please. To our property portfolio. Due to changing COVID-19 requirements that have restricted the public from gathering and the ec resulting economic activity impacts, the port's real estate portfolio has really struggled, but we are optimistic that we can strategies that will increase port leasing revenues to pre-COVID pandemic levels and beyond by 2025. Building improvements. Here we'll invest stimulus dollars in facilities to increase pro property marketability and rents. High impact opportunities. We're going to utilize port land efficiency efficiently, like the fire training facility project. You have an informational item on your calendar today on that. Diversified portfolio, use increased marketing efforts and targeted building improvements to attract tenants in various industries that will perform well through economic cycles by 2023. The diversity of our portfolio has been one of our key strengths at the port over time, and we need to deepen that diversity, especially in the light of the changes to the market that COVID-19 has created. Occupancy rates to maintain equal or greater than market benchmarks, benchmarks in comparable sec sectors. And for marketing, backfilling leasing and key marketing positions this year to increase property occupancy. We've absolutely found we have to invest in and fill our key positions to be successful. Holding positions vacant to save money is not our economic recovery strategy. The next slide, please. This is about our historic facilities. The port has nearly $2 billion in our capital backlog. That's why our historic facility partnerships, public-private partnerships, play such an enormously key role in our funding strategy. It is these partnerships that have resulted in transformation of some of our most treasured facilities. And I'm proud to work together with our partners to ensure resilience and equity is incorporated in all private developments on our waterfront for, for today and for future generations. We will work with our private partners to activate, restore, rehabilitate, and protect the Embarcadero Historic District piers and other facilities for maritime, public serving, and public spaces. We will need to use profitable uses such as office to fund these improvements. Here, we will devise for the projects, we will devise financially feasible projects, not an easy task, put them out to bid and select partners for at least six facilities for rehabilitation. We will ensure this, these rehab projects include resilience and equity benefits, and we will do these, this work by 2026. Select partnerships using criteria that 
that highly ranked teams with strong equity records and experience delivering programs with maritime resilience and public space and activation uses. For benefits, deliver public enjoyment, resilience, maritime and historic rehabilitation benefits for peers 38 through 40, seawall lot 330 and peers 3032, projects by 2025 through 2027. These projects are underway, as you know. For financing, we're going to collaborate with our partners to secure our innovative financing, historic tax credits, green bonds, and other public and private funding sources. Financing has been a key to our success. Now to the next slide. Exceptional places. The port, under this Port Commission's leadership, has a very successful track record creating exceptional waterfront places such as 88 Broadway and Mission Rock. Staff and our partners have a big job of implementation. We will continue to advance these transformational projects to create sustainable, diverse, and resilient communities for future generations. We have Mission Rock. We will continue to advance that waterfront community. Pier 70, we're going to partner to remove obstacles to break ground on vertical projects. For Parcel K North, we will partner with a developer to build open space at 20th and Illinois Street and New Michigan Street by 2025. For Teatro Zanzani, we'll partner to build a new home for entertainment venue, including a 280-seat performance, a new boutique hotel, and 14,000-square-foot park. For city legislation, we need to assist the city in accepting streets and utilities at Pier 70 and Mission Rock this year. Financing tools. We'll use Pier 70 and Mission Rock infrastructure financing districts and historic tax credits to fund capital improvements by 2024. Public bonds. We will continue to use our community facility districts bonds for Pier 70 by 2023 and we'll do the issuance in consultation with the city to advance the project. To the next slide, please. Now, I look at the last economic growth objective as a big opportunity, not only for the poor, but for our city and for its residents. In the next few years, we will use American Rescue Plan Act stimulus funding and port capital funds to deliver 60 million of funded capital projects by 2024. We will, we will complete improvements of the, using the stimulus dollars on time. In terms of partnerships, we will continue partnering on our projects to become an owner of choice and win at least one San Francisco Partnering Award per year. And to our local business opportunities, we will continue to provide construction opportunities for local small business enterprises with a focus on BIPOC-owned businesses. To the next slide. To the next steps, I want to thank you all, Port Commissioners, for your leadership. We look forward to reporting updates on the Equity and Resilience Strategic Plan sections next, and of course, coming back to you later this year with our end-of-year progress and 2022 impact report. Final slide. So I thank you, and that concludes my director's report and presentation. Thanks, Thanks. Director. Forbes for your report. Uh, let's go to public comment. Jenica will provide instructions now. Thank you, President Adams. 
At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on the Executive Director's report. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. President Adams, at this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Commissioner Gilman. Thank you, um, Director Forbes, for this really detailed report. I really appreciate it. Um, and wanted to say that I, I, I'm very intrigued and supportive of having someone who's purely focused on our economic recovery. I just had a, a couple of questions. Um, um, so for that position um, that we're crafting, I guess I'm just curious if there's been any thought or from the senior team or from yourself of after 2025, moving into the future where we have sound economic recovery, what um, tasks or responsibilities or scope with that position continue to have, or do you view that as a temporary position within the department that would phase out once we're roaring back economically? That's a very good question, Commissioner Gilman. As we have it planned now, it would be a three-year project-funded position that focuses on our um, near-term and long-term strategies. So as I see it, um, these strategies, we're talking about ongoing cost savings or revenue enhancements, they will go on into the future past the economic czars uh, uh, programs and implementation. However, um, we have a structural deficit that we had before COVID-19. That's why we have a $2 billion capital backlog. Um, it is very strongly possible that we may determine um, that it's worthwhile to keep the position on to tackle other items. Um, we have several areas where the port um, could use economic strategies, uh, especially in our capital program. So in long and short, I'm saying right now we're planning it as a three-year position, but it is possible that we may see the value of continuing the position past that point. Thank you so much. And then I was just wondering if you have the ability to do it. You mentioned in your report um, that part of what the czar would be working on, along with other members of the senior leadership team, was sort of streamlining processes or looking at how we internally do business. And you said some of those have been long overdue, that we sometimes pivot to the emergency instead of staying focused sort of on the long-term process fixes. Could you give a very brief example of one of those process fixes or one of those areas that you that you're hoping to really achieve um, from an efficiency perspective? Yes, um, we have an asset management system that the uh, maintenance division relies upon and all port divisions rely upon uh, to put in work orders for requests for work. That asset management system sits on the backbone of a big Oracle infrastructure, Oracle financials that this, this 
the port has not used since the city implemented PeopleSoft. So we have a very expensive system with one module that we're utilizing. We have to get off that whole system and, and start to use an asset management system that's both easier to use and is less expensive to use in terms of IT and staff resources. What we're doing now requires a lot of double and triple entry and is just very, very difficult. That's one example. Typically what I would be describing is something related to IT and, and something related to legacy systems. But there are also other processes that we have that just frankly need updating. Um, they're long, long standing. Um, they haven't been reviewed in a long time. Um, we know they're inefficient. The folks having to implement them know they're inefficient, but we haven't been able to take the time and put the resources into designing something better. Now, that answers my question fully. Um, I really appreciate that and appreciate your report. I'm um, looking forward to your other updates. And again, thank you for centering equity um, in every aspect of the update to the strategic plan. And I don't have any other questions. Thank you so much. Uh, Commissioner Burton. Commissioner Burton. Okay. No comments. No comments. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Brandon. Elaine, thank you so much for this report. It was very detailed and um, really happy that we're taking the time now to update the strategic plan because there is so much in front of us. But I do want to say that your team has done an incredible job of weathering through the last two years and getting resources and making the waterfront safe and accessible for our tenants and visitors. So I really want to thank you and the team for that. And I think it's absolutely phenomenal that the waterfront land use plan is in the final stages. And I think Diane Oshima and her team and the working group just, you know, have done a phenomenal job with the waterfront land use plan update. Um, I, 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 there were a lot of great details in your report. And like Commissioner Gilman said, I'm glad that we are focusing on economic growth, recovery, and equity combined so that in this recovery, everyone will feel welcome and able to join in the, all the opportunities available at the port. I, I want my one question is about Teatros and Zanny. I didn't see a date with that one. So I was just wondering, uh, where are we with Teatros and Zanny? And is it time for us to get an update or is there a uh, date that we think we may get to a certain point with them or move forward? That's an excellent question. I have some dates in my notes, but instead I'm going to turn it over to Rebecca Benassini, who is our Director of Real Estate and Development. Thank you, Elaine. Hello, commissioners. Good afternoon. I can answer a bit about that. Uh, the developer has utilized, not surprisingly, some of the force majeure provisions in their lease development and disposition agreement to delay signing of the lease. When they sign the lease, they must start construction. So they're gathering their construction financing. We are heartened that they have been submitting building permits. So we do have building permits in that we're reviewing that are in line with the design of that theater and hotel. So we're undergoing that sort of process. They are spending money on design and building permit processing fees and are just working hard to get that financing in place. And not surprisingly, they're pointing to occupancy rates 
um, in hotels in San Francisco. And there is some positive news um, on that front. So we're hopeful that this is the year that we'll get that lease signed, which will then be the signal to start construction. More than happy to do other updates in the future if, if you have an interest in them. Great, thank you. It, it will be great to actually see that project um, start construction because it's such a wonderful project. But again, Elaine, thank you so much for the report. And I think um, there are some very aggressive goals in this report, but I know you and your team can make it happen. So thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Brandon. Uh, Vice President Wuho. Uh, thank you, Elaine, uh, for this great report. Um, I've obviously been through it already with you once. And I have to say that uh, I just want to mention the evolution of the strategic plan over many years uh, has um, continued, I think, to expand and be comprehensive. And this update um, is certainly uh, fits into that category of uh, the thinking that keeps evolving uh, with the challenges and the circumstances uh, that we are facing. And obviously, we are facing some unexpected circumstances in the last couple of years, uh, but we're kind of meeting that challenge now. And I think it's great timing that we are rethinking the strategic plan uh, because we now can catch our breath a little bit uh, because uh, we know what we've faced and what we're facing. And while it's not over, at least uh, all the steps that can be taken to address it for the, for the short term have been. And it's now time to think about the longer term, both the short term as well as the longer term strategic steps that need to be taken. And I guess to Commissioner Gilman's um, comment, um, as you and I chatted, I really do think that uh, we're just not focusing on strategies for the next three years, but really for the strategies that are much uh, longer term and to face that capital budget deficit and what else can we do. But you're starting with the right sort of steps to take the short term steps. And I think that we applaud you and your staff for thinking that through. Uh, I think it's very comprehensive, excellent job. So I think we're um, all happy to see it and glad to see that you can now take the time to think about it and also make sure that the resources are there. The team has the mental space as well as the time um, to think about it. And I think it's gonna put us on a great trajectory. The only thing I will say, as you know, uh, across the Bay, um, there's been a major, um, I guess, approval, at least at their equivalent of the Board of Supervisors, their city council. They've just approved a major development, as you know, with the ballpark and everything else. And I think we need to be uh, clear and watching what they're going to do and what we're going to do. Uh, we should be very imaginative in how we envision our waterfront. I'm not saying we want to take away anybody's thunder, but we should realize um, we, we are going to have some more competition down the road in terms of people looking to develop more diverse and vibrant waterfronts. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting. I mean, of course, it's going to take many years, but I think we should not lose sight of the fact that that is happening across the Bay. Good for them. I mean, we all want to see the A stay, but I think we should make sure we're on top of it and that we're aware of what their plans are, as well as I'm sure they're watching us and seeing what our plans are, because a lot of part of that development is obviously not related to just to their, it's not related now to their cargo. It's really related to doing what we've been doing for a long time, correct? I asked you a question. Yes, indeed. It um, it puts Oakland into a position to have major investments in their commercial waterfront activities. And as you know, Jack London Square has been a, a very good resource for the community in Oakland with lots of uh, retail, restaurant activities. But this is really a generational investment in that waterfront that 
um, you know, will will be very, very transformative. So we will keep a close eye on it. Um, we have a lot of excellent, excellent offerings for the public uh, from the Exploratorium to the Giants Ballpark to Pier 39 and others. I'm not, and I'm not stating here, uh, but I think we'll stay on the top in terms of commercial activities that welcome uh, the public to our waterfront, but we can't, can't, um, assume success. We have to, as I discussed in the strategic plan update, really, really work on our exceptional places and our safety and vibrancy and our equity. Um, we, we need now to lean in uh, to these opportunities for our waterfront and to ensure that we are what we've been in the past and continue to grow. Um, so thank you for reminding us of that big investment um, and we will stay on top of it. Thank you. Good, uh, Vice President Wilhelm. Okay, um, Director Forbes, uh, great report. You know, the situation is so fluid, but uh, I'm not so much worried about the waterfront over there. Um, they could still wind up in Las Vegas. There's a lot of hurdles and obstacles. I know there's a big opposition to the stadium. This thing could wind up in the course for years. Uh, you got Vegas and Oakland competing. I think that we, I think we do have an advantage. I think we've been doing it for a long time, and I think we're getting it right. And we've been transformative. I mean, I've only been on the commission nine, ten years. Commissioner Brandon, who were on here before I was, but I would have never thought we'd have been talking about a recovery czar. That ain't something that we even talked about at the port, right? I mean, that's something you hear from the White House, right? A port czar, this kind of a czar. Now, we're talking about a recovery czar, and I, I like that. And I like the short term. I like the long term. And it's good to know that all you and your staff are putting things in place, no matter who's here. It will it will just kick in. And it will take care of itself. And I know that's been a big thing for Doreen about what's the bench look like going down the road, say something happens. And I think that you're laying that out. And I think you've heard that. And with your team, I'm, 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 I'm really impressed. I just thought it was so thorough. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Carl, next item, please. That would be item 7A, which requests approval of the fiscal year 22-23 and 23-24 biennial operating and capital budget and to accept and expend federal stimulus funding. That would be resolutions 2209 and 2210. Okay, at this time we have Katie Patricioni and Nate Cruz to give us a presentation. Good afternoon, Commissioners. I'm Nate Cruz with the Finance and Administration Division. Uh, here today to request your approval of two resolutions. Uh, the first is the Biennial Operating and Capital Budget for fiscal years 22-23 and 23-24. The second resolution is to approve uh, the use of federal stimulus, the ARPA, uh, stimulus funds in the current fiscal year in 21-22. Next slide, please. So before we get into the details, I just want to kind of refresh uh, our collective memories. Uh, two weeks ago, I was here with an informational item uh, and to provide quite a bit of detail and context in about the, the, the budget context in which we're making these decisions. Uh, this table really provides a great overview of of the three or the the three real critical elements that we need to think about when we're deciding on our on which uh, on on how to allocate our precious resources uh 
This shows a fund balance at the beginning of the fiscal year, revenues coming in, expenses, or at least operating expenses going out. And then whatever's left after that is what we have available to invest in our, our facilities. And you can see in this in this upcoming biennial cycle, in the 22, 23, 23, 24 cycle, we really have a very healthy budget. We have fund balance that's back at pre-COVID or actually exceeds pre-COVID levels, uh, revenues and expenses uh, that we're really restoring uh, services and positions to pre-COVID levels, and a really significant level of capital investment. But all that's made possible by federal stimulus. The following biennial cycle and the out years uh, is where we really see pressure as the as we need to continue to maintain critical services and investments in our facilities, uh, but we're still waiting for tourists to return to the waterfront and our revenues haven't quite recovered yet. Uh, and that just kind of highlights the need uh, for us to execute on that strategic and economic vision that Director Forbes just referred to. Uh, next slide, please. So in my uh, presentation during the informational item, a number of questions came up uh, as well as uh, some additional questions that came up in, in some individual budget briefings. And so I'm going to try to address those in, in uh, broadly and then leave a lot of time for, for questions. Uh, the first set of questions seem to get at uh, providing more detail on the changes in our budget by division. Uh, two weeks ago, we provided sort of an overview uh, uh, of the port as a whole and how changes were, 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 were seen at, at a higher level. Uh, what you're seeing in the slide in front of you is a, is a little bit more detailed breakdown by division of the port. I won't go through each row, but I'll, I'll discuss some of the major drivers in each division. Uh, in engineering, the increase that you're seeing in non-personnel services has to do with us um, restoring funding levels for engineering's as-needed architecture and design service contracts. Uh, so we're restoring those to pre-COVID levels. We're also consolidating the resources for those contracts in the operating budget. They'd previously been budgeted in two separate places, and we're, just for simplicity's sake, moving them to one place are a little easier to administer. So that's what you're seeing uh, driving engineering budgets, uh, driving the engineering budget up. Uh, and the executive department, the increase in non-personnel services of a little over $400,000 uh, has to do a little bit with a, a new contract to provide us with grant writing resources to help us secure outside money. But the, the larger portion of that is due to uh, uh, we, we provided a little bit of a cushion in our security budget. Right now, we're, we're going through a competitive bidding process to identify a new set of contractors to provide uh, security services at the port. We're not sure what the price is going to land at quite yet. Uh, so we needed to, to, to provide a little bit of a cushion in our budget uh, in case the, the prices uh, are in, increased from uh, the, the previous contracts. In finance and administration, um, the, the largest percentage increase is also in non-personnel services. That $188,000 increase uh, comes from us restoring uh, an expense that we hope not to use. It's an expense for uh, judgments and claims that may arise throughout the year. We'd eliminated it during COVID uh, to reduce the size of our budget. It's still prudent to have that budget in case something comes up. And so we're restoring it. But like I said, hopefully we don't actually need it. Um, in the maintenance division, the big story there is we're restoring our uh, our equipment budget, which shows in this table as capital outlay, but that's basically budget speak for budget speak for equipment. Uh, and we're also restoring our materials and supplies budget to pre-COVID levels. Next slide, please. 
on the maritime front, our work orders are increasing dramatically, but that's because cruise is coming back. This is this is actually good news, right? This these these work order funds provide shoreside power and security services for cruise. So this is a it's good news that we get to spend this money again, uh, and we'll see more cruise ships and more tourists back on the waterfront. And the planning and environment division, we're actually seeing a savings in the services of other departments. That savings of a little under three hundred thousand dollars has to do with. Uh, our waterfront plan advancing to the stage that it is now. Uh, we don't really anticipate needing the services of the city's planning department quite so much as we had in the past, uh, so we can achieve some savings there. And in the real estate division, we see a, a significant savings also in non-personnel services. That savings of almost $750,000 in the first year is being driven entirely by uh, the successful renegotiation of our rent for our Pier 1 offices. Uh, this past year, was the a, a 10th anniversary of our lease and was set to re, reset to market. And, and we came out of that negotiation uh, a little bit uh, in a better situation than we'd uh, assumed in the original budget. Uh, next slide, please. Um, the other area of questions that came up had to do with ARPA. Now, obviously, and as Director Ford mentioned, you know, ARPA, really provides us an economic reprieve over the next two years. The 115 million or 114.8 million allows us to restore projects and programs that were cut or deferred due to COVID, allows us to avoid staff layoffs and backfill critical positions that we'd left vacant intentionally to achieve savings. And it allows us to really significantly invest in our facilities again. Uh, we've been approved for the first roughly half of that funding at 56.6 million. We think the second half of that will be confirmed in the next few months uh, hopefully by April of 2022. Uh, there's two pieces of legislation that are related to ARPA. The first is an accept and expend resolution, uh, and that's one of the resolutions we're asking you to approve today. That has to do with the use of ARPA in the current fiscal year in 21-22. Uh, the other accept and expend resolution, which has to do with uh, the use of ARPA funding in the biennial budget cycle, uh, that will be submitted with our budget and go to the mayor, go to the mayor and the board of supervisors uh, in May. And the other thing to always remember about ARPA is that we have to spend the money by June of 2024. Next slide, please. Uh, a question that came up was about the allocation of ARPA funds. Uh, there, between a couple of commissioners noted that between our submission to the to the state lands commission and uh, the staff report. Uh, there had been some reallocations. Uh, what you're seeing here is uh, is where the final budget landed. What we did is we um, we reallocated some some projects funding so that we could make sure that the fourth category of funding, the supporting communities, which were disproportionately impacted by COVID, uh, made sure we we kept that funding level consistent to what we told the state. Uh, what had happened in between the submission to the state lands and our first informational item when we put together the budget uh, was basically the, the significant rainstorms at the end of last calendar year uh, really illuminated some massive leaking problems that we had at the roundhouse. So we needed to reprioritize some of the projects and make funding available to address the, the critical need at that facility, which generates really important revenue for us. Next slide, please. Uh, and then let's see, Commissioner Wuho, I believe you'd asked about uh, 
a little bit more context about how we were going to make sure we met that June of 2024 deadline. Um, you know, it's one thing to appropriate the resources, but it's another thing to actually execute on them. And so what we've included in the budget are some resources to make sure we can deliver. Uh, first and foremost are two new project managers for the project management office uh, that manages our capital projects. We're also reassigning a vacant financial analyst position to contract administration to help award those contracts that are always a part of capital projects. We're fully funding the engineering as needed contracts for architecture and design. Uh, we're also creating two positions within the engineering division, one for building inspection and another to support the permit desk. Uh, both of those will be critical to delivering our uh, the capital projects included in ARPA. And finally, we talk about a you know, backfilling positions and creating all these new positions, we need someone to actually help hire those. And so we've identified a new HR analyst position to help fill those vacancies. Next slide, please. Uh, the last sort of set of questions that came up in the informational item had to do with the capital status. And so two of the five new attachments to the, to the staff report have to do with capital. One, uh, attachment nine is sort of a drill down into the Southern Waterfront Beautification Fund. And attachment 10, which you're seeing an excerpt of in this slide, is really a sort of encyclopedic look at all of the capital appropriations since 1920. Uh, and so if you look at that, that attachment, you'll see everything that had a material balance in fiscal 1920 and that what we've added to it over the last couple of years and also what we defunded. Uh, if you'll remember last year about this time, we identified some lower priority projects and some administrative cleanup to 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 achieve savings in the capital budget and restore our fund balance, which we've been using during COVID to maintain critical operations. Uh, and so you'll see that in the report as well as what we're requesting you to approve uh, with this resolution here today. Uh, on the capital front, you'd also asked for a little bit more detail on the waterfront resilience program. We're still working to put that together. What's what we're asking for your approval today is roughly three million dollars over the next two years of Port Harbor funds to support the resilience program. But at the same time, there's a significant amount of bond funding available to the program. And we were asked to, to provide a sort of overview of how those all work together. We're still working on compiling that. We'll be back to you in the next few months with some information. Um, so that will be coming following this item. Next slide, please. So where we are today, we've already been through step one. Uh, I'm here today asking for your approval of those two uh, resolutions, the biennial budget, as well as an acceptance and expenditure of ARPA stimulus in the current fiscal year. Uh, and then also today, in fact, right after this meeting, I need to submit our budgets to the mayor's office and the controller. In March and April, we'll be taking the acceptance and expenditure of ARPA stimulus in the current fiscal year to the board and the mayor. And then in May, June, we'll be submitting our full biennial budget, which includes ARPA stimulus in both of those two years through the Board of Supervisors, the normal budget process that the whole city's experiencing. Next slide, please. So that covers the, the highlights of the, the new content in the staff report, but I'm happy to answer any questions that you have. Thanks, Nate, uh, your presentation. Uh... Commissioners, is there a motion to approve the resolutions? I so move. Second. Okay, so, sorry. Okay, we got two. Thank you. Now let's open up for public comment. Jenica will provide instructions now. Thank you, President Adams. 
At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on item 7A. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. President Adams, at this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Public comment is closed. Uh, Commissioner Brandon. Nate, thank you so much for that presentation and thank you for all the work that you and Katie and the team have put into uh, the presentation and all of the, the, the documents regarding the budget the capital plan and the ARPA funds. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me three times to go over this budget and to help me understand exactly what we're doing and where we're going with it. So I really appreciate that. I'm, I don't think I have any more questions. I think we have resolved everything. So again, thank you so much for taking the time. And, and I'm sure we'll be getting a little more information later on. And if I have any further questions, I'll definitely reach out. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Brandon. Uh, Commissioner Burton. Comments, other is great information. Thank you, Commissioner Burton. Commissioner Gilman. Um, I have no other questions and I'm supportive of moving the budget forward. Thank you, staff, so much for your diligence and your detail. You answered all my questions. Vice President Wuhal. Uh, thank you. Um, I've also had all my questions answered in briefings, uh, very detailed. A lot of great work went into it and I appreciate it very much. Supportive, so I have no further questions at this time. Uh, Katie, Nate, what can I say? I mean, no questions. I have none either. <laughs> so uh, uh, we will vote. Uh, roll call vote, please. All right. President Adams? Yes. Vice President Wu Ho? Yes. Commissioner Brandon? Yes. Commissioner Burton? Aye. Commissioner Gilman? Yes. Uh, motion passes unanimously. Resolutions 2209 and 2210 are adopted. Thank you both very much. Carl, next item, please. That would be item 8A, which requests adoption of the 2022 uncollectible balances write-off policy, and that's resolution 2211. Uh, Rebecca Bencini will give us a presentation. Hi, Rebecca. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, excuse me, I'm just plugging in. I'll just go out of sight for just a moment. There we go. Uh, Rebecca Benesini, your Deputy Director for Real Estate and Development. I'm here with a follow-up to our conversation on February 8th. Today, I have before you an action item for an adoption of a new uncollectible balances write-off policy. And again, I want to credit and thank so many people who helped me with this item, our finance department, Katie Petruccioni and Nate Cruz, as well as Peter Yee. I also want to recognize Rona Sandler and her work in uh, the city attorney's office, as well as Michelle Sexton's. So thank you everyone. And I'll go on to the next slide now. I'll begin with a summary of what we discussed last time on February 8th. Then I'll focus in on edits to the draft policy that reflect some of our conversation. And I'll point out some new information that was in the staff report. 
And then I'll close out with staff's recommendation. Next slide, please. First, just making sure we all have our definitions straight, which is really important as you consider adoption of the policy. A write-off is an accounting action that reduces or eliminates an unpaid balance. It's really important to recognize that this starts when the tenant or another property user li like a licensee leaves the premises and they have not paid all of the amounts due, so they are no longer on our property. Uh, the city only will write off balances sort of citywide for all the departments after they've uh, exhausted commercially reasonable efforts to collect the balance. Next slide, please. Want to make a clear distinction of write-offs versus settlements. The Port Commission is familiar with settlements. Um, from time to time, we'll bring you an agreement with an existing tenant or an existing licensee to settle a disputed balance or another dispute. And typically, or it's required that if that balance that we're settling is over $25,000 that we're conceding, the Port Commission takes action. That's a settlement agreement, distinct from the write-off. Settlement agreements are with tenants who are in place. Write-offs are for tenants who have left the premises and have uh, vacated their, their location. Next slide, please. Updating this policy is in line with our strategic plan. Uh, key amongst them is to implement and develop strategies to stabilize our financial position. As I go through some of the numbers, um, this will become more clear. Uh, but as part of the economic recovery goal, we have operational efficiencies as one of the tactics that we need to implement in order to recover and um, carefully use our staff time. Next slide, please. The proposal uh, here before you today is to replace the Resolution 8483 uh, to update it to more um, closely <laughs> or to exactly match the actual operations that take place um, from that older policy. Uh, the proposed policy makes clear all the necessary steps. Um, when we look back at the old policy, we often have to remind ourselves what we meant back in 1984. And so this new policy will eliminate any of that ambiguity. And because there are so many entities involved, the port staff, um, the executive director, the city attorney's office, and the controller, this new policy will make it clear for all of the parties uh, who, who is acting and when. Next slide, please. As a um, bit of uh, sort of data about what we're talking about. We've just lost Rebecca momentarily. She'll be back. My deepest apologies, commissioners. I'm so sorry about that. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Go I'm ahead. I'm so sorry. Thank you. All Thank good. you for Go your work. patience. All good. Um, so I was going over uh, the 10 years of data that we have on write-offs that our city attorney and 
others were able to compile for us. So the write-offs that we've done over time are rare. It's very interesting. If you go back to 2008, you can sort of see the economic cycles in place. Um, during the Great Recession, we got up to five, seven write-offs. The sums totaled um, at the height of this time period, $882,000 total. And then they, on average over the 10-year period, we've averaged three write-offs, um, about $264,000 per write-off. Next slide, please. We think this, um, this may be different for the next couple of years. As I uh, noted in the staff report, we had a couple underlined sentence to be clear about new information. The current accounts receivable sum to about seven times the typical balance. Each month, our property managers, wharfingers, and others who are in communication with our tenants look through the list of total um, outstanding balances, and they make a judgment uh, 25%, 50%, 75%, 100%, or 0% as to how much of that money may be collectible or that we will actually receive. Um, the current estimate across all of the accounts receivable balances is that we will settle or write off about 60% of that balance. It's, it's a large number, $14.8 million at this time. These estimates change each month as conversations with tenant kind of ebb and flow um, as the ups and downs of the pandemic hit them. And I want to also note that of the $14.8 million, several million are represented by forgiveness amendments under the previously approved forgiveness policy that tenants haven't yet executed on because there are other outstanding disputes in their lease. So a couple million will, we believe, be settled through the forgiveness program. Others will be in settlement agreements that likely come before you due to the size of the settlement agreement. And then another portion will be written off because we anticipate at some point tenants will vacate the premises without paying. Next slide, please. So here are the steps in the new policy. I'm gonna go over um, in more detail the steps that will be underlined that indicate changes from the February 8th policy proposal. So first, we confirm we have possession. Second, we determine, uh, we being port staff, determine if an account is delinquent or uncollectible or not cost-effective to pursue by going through these steps, notifying the debtor, attempting to collect, preserving evidence, exhausting potentials for payment plans or settlement agreements, applying any financial instruments that we have, and then conducting a preliminary business and asset search. And if the debtor does have funds to potentially pursue, we move on to step three, which is the next slide, please. Thank you so much. Uh, the city attorney will then assign um, a, a deputy city attorney to work on the business and the asset search. They will also evaluate potential success of litigation and then potential success for collection. We'll together analyze the case with the city attorney. If the analysis results in one of the A, B, or C shown below, then we would recommend a write-off to the controller. So if the debtor has insufficient assets to pay or if the debtor has assets, but the cost and the risk of pursuit and collection outweigh that potential of actually receiving the money, and if there are no other policy issues um, at, at issue in, in the particular case, then we would pursue that right off to the controller. I mentioned earlier that potential policy issues that we might consider are if the tenant has, um, if there's significant damage to the property or there's some other reason to pursue the tenant, even if we don't think that we could potentially collect sufficient money to sort of cover the cost of that pursuit. Next slide, please. Here is where you'll see a couple of changes. We wanna be clear in the policy that the executive director is the port staff member and her designee. That is the staff member that can recommend 
a write-off along with city attorney and city controller. If all three concur in the recommendation of the write-off, then we would send all the port commissioners the recommendation. Uh, we have a number of, currently we're providing the monthly leasing and reconciliation reports as an example. I could envision, or I envision um, inserting notification of a write-off in this sort of report. So we notify the port commission and then we would wait 30 days to make the actual write-off action. Uh, this concept we came up with after the discussion on February 8th to give the port commissioners some visibility into this process and to provide some time in case port commissioners are interested in um, finding out more about the particular tenant, especially in cases where you might have heard of the tenant before if we were in negotiations for a settlement that ultimately fell apart. So after 30 days, then the accounting staff would actually implement the write-off into the financial system, and that would be the, the sort of permanent action um, at the conclusion of the whole policy. Next slide, please. That concludes my presentation. Uh, we recommend approval of the attached resolution 2211, which would replace the 1984 policy with the 2022 policy. Thank you so much, commissioners. Thank you, Rebecca, for your presentation. Commissioner, is there a motion and a second? So I, moved. I'll second. Okay, we have a motion and a second. Uh, now let's open it up for public comment. Jenica will provide instructions now. Thank you, President Adams. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on item 8A. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. And President Adams, at this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Okay. Public comment is closed. Uh, Commissioner Burton. No comments, but I'm in favor. Okay. Commissioner Brandon. Rebecca, thank you so much for that report. Um, so I know we're, we're in we're chartering new waters here. And we have such an expanded list of settlements and write-offs. And so I'm wondering what percentage of that 60% do you think will be written off? Thank you, Commissioner. I would have a really hard time putting a number to it. I am really sorry about that. It's just very hard to do just given sort of okay. what we're hearing so far. From and then and then approximately how much, what's the average per write-off are you expecting? I think it's, uh, I don't have any reason to believe it's out of line with what we've seen in the past. We still have um, the, the typical size of a tenant's leasehold is not much larger than it's been in the past. So I'd expect the dollar value to be similar to the last 10 years, just the number of write-offs to be higher, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm. I'm. For me, I, I. You know, I've seen the the monthly reports, but I haven't analyzed them, and I don't know which ones are. You know, will not are uncollectible, and so it's really kind of hard for me to just to just. I and I understand the difference between a settlement and a write off, 
And I know that when we write something off, we have all these provisions, but I'm still leery of just giving open um, access to writing off without us knowing. And I don't think that giving us the notification in one of the monthly reports is adequate because for months we didn't get those reports. So I think there should be something a little more, I, I think that because we may have so many and because this is really gonna affect the port's balance sheet, I, I, I think that there, has, there should be a better way to inform the commission whether you bring it to us quarterly or do some kind of presentation or something to let us know exactly what we're dealing with. Because this could go on for the next few years. It, it may get larger. We may have more write-offs. So I'm just, it's, it's just hard for me to just say, okay, regardless of what the amount is, regardless of who it is, if you have to write it off, write it off. That's that's just my feeling. I have one bit. Elaine, did you have want to respond first? I had one thought, but I don't have a great idea. I only had a good, one one first thought um, from the from the balance sheet perspective. Our finance team has all is incorporating the anticipated write off, and that affects so sort of that monthly accounts receivable report you all get that shows our financial position. They've already taken into account how much money we actually think we're going to collect so that we they make sure we aren't spending beyond our means while we're trying to collect on these balances. So luckily, from the financial reporting standpoint, we're on really strong footing in terms of projecting revenues coming forward and not overspending based on a larger accounts receivable. Um, but I hear your concern. And Elaine, I'm happy to think, think it over for just a moment to think about what might be a better just, than having just the note and then having the 30-day you know, hold period. Time period. Um, I'm trying to think about a better method of reporting. I did want to remind uh, you, Commissioner Brandon, that these accounts that are uncollectible will have been verified from our city attorney and controller's office. So there's really, we really can't find a way to recover at this point. I think the way that we might best handle it is... Um, <laughs> I was going to suggest a consent item, but I think that might be more than we need. Um, perhaps a um, update and a reference in the director's report. And if there's any um, discomfort, a comment about it, and we'll bring it to the commission as an item. Something like that. I think a, an opportunity to comment if there's any concern, then we would bring it as a consent item or an actual item. But the key here is that no one feels that they can recover on these balances. There's just, there's not a party uh, to continue to seek from, or at least that that's the determination of staff, city attorney and controller. And so once, once a, a tenant customer has a write-off, how does that affect their ability to do business with the port again? Go ahead, Rebecca. I can, I can begin. We don't, I've, I've looked into this as well. The city does not keep a list like what you might imagine they would keep. They just don't keep it. Um, we always have sort of the reference check that we do before we sign a new lease where we hope we would find 
you know, lease terminated non-payment in that sort of a search. But that's really our main mechanism is checking whether or not they're on anyone else's list in terms of having a credit issue. So we don't currently have a, a do not lease to policy. And I, I think as we move forward with filling vacancies, we're going to do another check to see whether or not there were any of our policies that allowed us to lease to tenants that ultimately, you know, had this difficulty with paying rent during a really def difficult economic cycle. So it's definitely something we're thinking about is should we continue doing the same credit check policies uh, and procedures that we've had in the past or should we do something different to protect against this in the future? Yeah, I um, and, and I, I do think that we need to do whatever we can to help our tenants stay in business, you know, if if they can. And so I, I think that that should be our first goal is to help our tenants. But I just, so, so, so I have a business and my business goes bankrupt and you write off whatever debt I had and I start a new business. That's a whole new tax ID number. That's a whole new thing. But then again, I can come and lease more property from the port. So I'm just I'm I'm just trying to think of what we can do for transparency so that we really understand who we're doing business with and and understanding that, you know, yes, it may be uncollectible today, but you know, a year from now it may not be. I I don't know. But I I'm just thinking more transparency and something that the commission can follow to understand and because this is this is unprecedented you know yes. we and so it i i i think that maybe we should try something out in the beginning till we feel comfortable i mean and, and i understand that we're saying it's uncollectible but is it really uncollectible and maybe one of the commissioners may know that organization or know that they have other businesses. And so just trying to find a way that we can be a little more transparent and that you can keep the commission, you know, up to date on what's going on instead of just an open-ended write-off policy. Mm -hmm. As we proposed it, it's 30 days before taking the action. As I recall, Rebecca, I have that right, 30 days before taking action. Perhaps what we could do is, in addition to receiving the report for the commissioners, I could talk about it in the director's report 30 days before action. If any commissioner has a comment at that point, we would bring an item if there's one or two of the accounts that you're con concerned about or you're concerned about all of it and want more transparency, you could direct us at that time to bring an item. And that way we can see how it's going. And if there's more commission interest in it, you can just re-refer from the director's report. And then we wouldn't take action on whatever you're re-referring on. And instead we bring an item to commission. Do you think you could include the report in our monthly packets? Mm -hmm. I think we can. Rebecca, what do you think? And are these for sure? And this yes. you're referring to the monthly um, AR and leasing package the, we currently send. The, the monthly staff reports. When, oh, we, get, staff when report. we get our items to have the, the report in that. I see. Is that is that doable? Yes, I think so. As a um just as a separate report, as as a separate report to the packet. Mm -hmm. And then we could 
And we would anyway, I'm right about this, make this public, this is public record. Anyhow, we would just be consolidating that in a report that would be a uh, an added attachment to the commission agenda. Just a no, just a memo to the commissioners. Memo to the commissioners. Yes, I think we can do that. Yes, definitely. Thank you. President Brand, I better ask you before I move on. Did you get all your questions answered? Yes. Are you, are you good? You. I'm good. Thank you. you no, know, Commissioner Gilman's going to fire. I can just say <laughs> well, I might come back. <laughs> come on, Commissioner Gilman. You're up. Fire. Okay. I actually don't have that many questions. I had, I had a couple of clarifying things, though, just because, um, as always, Commissioner Brandon makes me think about things in a, in a different way or approach the situation differently, and it spurs for me um, just clarification and questions. So I just want to reiterate, by the time you're giving us this 30 days notice in the report, the person has left their space on port property. They're no longer occupying it. They have already been vetted by the controller and the city attorney's office who recommend that any further action on behalf of the port or the city would just incur unnecessary costs because it, the analysis has been in this moment in time that there is no way to collect this debt. That's correct. And you will be surprised at how long that takes <laughs> when you start to see these reports. <laughs> no, I, I mean, and I guess that's giving me, you know, some confidence. I do think it's intriguing about what Commissioner Brandon raised, which I think is a, a larger city issue, maybe. Maybe we could ask the city attorney's office to comment on it about I'm in an LLC, I dissolve it, we go bankrupt, I then pop up and do another one or have you know, shell companies under shell companies that, that I'm still the person as the principal officer, you know, running that organization. So I do think it's interesting about how we ensure that we don't release to someone who is a bad actor or who might put us in this predicament again. So I just think that's an interesting aspect. And I also think it's something for the city to consider because I wouldn't want someone who was renting space from the airport and then went belly up and the airport wrote off their debt to then turn around and, you know, try to rent at the port. So I, I just, you know, think that is in, that that was an interesting aspect to think about. Um, so, um, and I'm fine with all the mechanisms around transparency that you want to put into place. I appreciate the monthly reports and the 30 days notice. Um, again, it's just us carrying the debt longer. There's really no consequence in waiting 30 days to take action. It's just showing up um, from us, from a financial perspective, the, the, tenant and the business is gone by the time it gets to us. Um, again, I hope we also continue to work diligently. I'd rather keep a space occupied and negotiate long-term payment plans with someone than have to go through this process and write off um, this debt and have it abandoned, particularly since in the earlier item under one of the, the worst case scenario from a budget perspective, it says when we're releasing retail or restaurant space from the time of default to the time of releasing could take 2.4 years. So um, we'd really like to keep our tenants in as much as possible, but I'm fine moving the item forward. Thank you, Commissioner Gilman. Uh, Vice President Wuho. Thank you, um, Rebecca and Lane for uh, the updates and the ongoing discussion here. Um, I just want to expand a little bit on one of the points that has been made earlier, uh, and that is one, uh, I think that today, in terms of when we actually vet someone to lease, 
Um, and what do we do in terms of actually looking into their credit history, et cetera? I mean, it should be part of our standard policy to vet a lessee, um, regardless of whether they were previously a tenant at the port or as uh, Commissioner Gilman said, uh, they, they were a tenant at another city agency or they could have been a tenant in the private sector and had, have had, had issues. So I am asking the question on a policy level, do we have ways to sort of make sure we understand that so that we can decide uh, what to do? And if it was extraneous circumstances uh, that if there was such a profile that we do not permit under our current leasing policy to lease with someone with such a background, that if you all felt that there were extenuating circumstances, extraneous, that you would bring that lease to the commission for discussion. So that's, I think that's another discussion. Maybe you'll come back and tell us how to uh, handle those situations as far as um, this policy is concerned. The other question I have is, uh, I'm not familiar with, you know, since we deal with cash accounting and not accrual accounting, uh, have you run this uncollectible balance policy by our external auditors to see that they are comfortable with the process and the time on when you actually recognize the uncollectible balance. Because under normal rules, accrual accounting, there would be some guidelines about this. I'm not saying they would object to it. It's just, are you, are they comfortable with the process? And have you checked in with the external auditors on this policy? Thank you for the question. I see Ms. Petruccioni has come in to help answer. I have a start of an answer, but I'm sure you'll have a much fuller answer. Uh, well, I would say that we have not run this specific write-off policy past our external auditors, but they are certainly aware that we have been uh, taking allowances against revenue based on our assumptions of what is collectible or not at fiscal year end. Uh, and so they're certainly aware that we're writing down revenue, um, but I think commissioner, Vice President Wu Ho, that it does make sense for us to just pass it by them to make sure that they're comfortable with this approach. Yeah, I would suggest you make sure that they are comfortable with your process and your procedures and the timing of when you actually account for it on the books. So I would suggest that before you know we finalize this and then you find out that auditors are not comfortable and you have to change it again to meet whatever they feel is the right process. So. Um, I hate to say that that might continue the item, but I think I would want that check off first. And, and just so you may feel more comfortable, and I think we're absolutely comfortable continuing the item if that's the right thing to do. The accounting group writes off these uh, balances way, way before this write-off recommendation is this policy. So there's two sides of the house and the accounting side assumes uncollectability earlier than the city attorney, the controller's office, and our team stops trying to recover from these accounts. And so that right, the way the accounting approaches it is a longstanding policy that our third party um, uh, auditors have reviewed and understood. This is a secondary when we stop, still like on our, on the business side, 
stop trying to collect the account. So there are two sides of this, um, but I, I think it's absolutely worthwhile for us to share this policy um, with our auditor to ensure that they're comfortable. That makes very good sense to me. And we could easily continue this item and put it on consent what, once we've um, had that um, had that occur. And we can also write in the policy, um, the uh, amendment and improvement to public transparency that we've worked through with Commissioner Brandon. Right. And then my earlier, my earlier question, as it relates to how do we make sure we vet lessees, I'm not just talking about people that are affected by the uncollectible balance policy. I mean, uh, but in general, uh, how do we make sure that there is adequate vetting to make sure that uh, we don't release if they've been a bad actor somewhere else, regardless whether it was bankruptcy, whatever the issue is. I mean, could be lots of different issues. And if you do want to lease to someone like that, then what is the policy? Do you bring it to the, com to the commission so that we all agree that maybe there were special circumstances or et cetera, et cetera, or there are different terms for the lease? So that's a separate item. It's not something you're going to put into this policy, but I'm suggesting that you think it through because mm -hmm. it sounds like you do not necessarily have standard steps today because I don't see Rebecca saying, hey, I, I want to tell you what we do right now. So I think it's still a little bit of a, uh, a gap right now. So let's let's handle that gap too. Make sense? Yeah, it, it does. Go ahead, Rebecca. I was it, going to, I was going to say that we've We've so we haven't had the experience where someone who's abandoned our property and was an uncollectible account to our awareness came back as a different entity or as the same entity trying to lease from us. That said, when you looked at Rebecca's table, we've never been in a situation to have this many accounts and that the city doesn't keep a centralized list of sort of um, actors not in good standing post write-off. That's a, a blind spot that we've identified here uh, for our own leasing. We do have standard provisions in leasing uh, to tenants, including everything from credit checks to security deposits to references. And Rebecca can go into more detail, but we do have a policy that um, has checklists that, uh, that uh, confirms financial viability. Uh, but I think there is uh, room for us to take a look at things um, and come back to you with an item. Um, Rebecca, did you want to add more? You've listed the steps. So the steps we take our credit check, we do a Dun & Bradstreet business search. We check that they're a duly organized entity under the state of California. They need to do a two-month um, security deposit, of course. They have an environmental or other deposit that might be associated with their lease. So those are the standard things that we have been doing and led to not so many write-offs over the last 10 years, but we are in a new situation for sure. I think we're always trying to balance, you know, being a potential low cost place for tenants with trying to make sure we have stringent enough financial security instruments in place. So it's a real balance, but our current checklists are the ones I just listed. And they, of course, they also have to have insurance in place before we will sign the lease. So those standard items, I think it's worth talking about in the next couple of months to see if there's other items we should add to that. I would say, unfortunately, you know, one of the things we have seen some great stories in this pandemic of people really going above and beyond and being totally helpful and caring and whatever. But we've also seen the other side of human nature in this pandemic, unfortunately. And just look at all this mass retail theft. I mean, there's just people's characters have changed. And, and what has been unacceptable in the past is now sort of acceptable now. 
and I'm not saying that any of us, because I think we all have our own strong moral compasses, but unfortunately um, there are people in society that at the moment do not. And so I think we have to guard ourselves against the fact that this is a different time. I mean, I think we all know stories of, you know, just amazing. I mean, you know, there's the, the tremendous stories that we see that are just make us feel good as human beings every day. And there are other stories that just make us kind of really shake our heads and, and are very sad and disappointed in people's character. So, but to be forewarned, you should be forearmed. Okay. Anything else, Vice President Wuha? No, I gave my sermon for the day. I think that we've had enough on this issue. I think we're going to continue this issue. Carl, do I have to do anything procedurally? So I think I heard Vice President Wu Ho make a substitute motion to table the item for another meeting, and she was the original motion maker. So if there's a second to that, we could take a roll call vote to table it. I'll second. Second. Okay, President Adams? Yes. Vice President Wu Ho? Yes. Commissioner Brandon? Yes. Commissioner Burton? Aye. And Commissioner Gilman? Yes. It passed unanimously to table it to another meeting. Um, Carl, next item, please. Okay, that would be item 8B, an informational presentation on a proposed memorandum of understanding between the port and the city's real estate division regarding the purchase by the city of approximately 2.6 acres of port property located at 1236 Carroll Avenue in the southern waterfront to develop a new fire personnel training facility. And good afternoon, President Adams and Commissioners, Director Forbes, Jamie Hurley, Project Manager with the Ports Real Estate and Development Division. Um, and I'm, I'm here to present on uh, the MOU as just read by, by Carl. Um, next slide, please. So in today's presentation, I will begin with just some general background about um, what is envisioned um, and um, and orient you geographically to where we're talking about. Um, I'm joined by the fire department as well as the city's real estate department who will talk more specifically about the project um, and sort of the transactions required to facilitate the project. And then I'll come back and talk a little bit more about the port's role alignment with our port street strategic plan um, i'll talk about the legislative approvals needed and there are various approvals needed and then i'll talk about next steps next slide please so just to touch briefly on um, one of the two transactions that um, the city's director of real estate will be speaking to you a little more about later in the presentation but the port transaction um, involves a 2.6-acre port site that consists of two so-called paper streets as well as a railroad remnant parcel, um, all of which um, are currently vacant and um, have not have never been particularly productive or functional assets to the port. Um, the most recent lease for the property, which was just for the railroad remnant parcel, was for temporary construction project laydown and had a lease rate of 30 cents per square foot per month. Um, the MOU, uh, the purpose of the MOU between the port and the city's real estate division would be to convey the port property to the city 
in exchange for fair market value, conditioned upon the successful passage of state legislation to lift the public trust from the poor property. And I'll be speaking more a little bit later on about that state legislation. Um, the MOU will require both poor commission and board of supervisors approval. And then the state lands commission also has a role here, um, which is mainly to confirm the fair market value that the port, the ports Harbor fund will receive fair market value. Next slide, please. So before we get into sort of the what um, uh, and talking about the project and uh, what is envisioned, I wanted to sort of orient you to the where. Um, so the, the 2.6 acres along with some adjacent privately held property um, that we're talking about is located in the southern waterfront. It's indicated by the star on this map view um, and it's just south of Yosemite Slough near Hunter's Point in the baby. Next slide, please. And then a little bit more about this, the location and the neighborhood context. This is a Google, Google uh, Earth view looking down on the site indicated by the, the Google indicator. Um, the address is 1236 Carroll Avenue. And again, you could see Yosemite Slough there just to the north of the project site. Next slide, please. And these are just a couple of photos um, to show you the existing conditions of the site. You can see that the site is vacant. The photo on the left is from outside the gate. Um, there's a, it's a fenced off site. And the photo on the right is within the fenced area. Next slide, please. This is a project that involves a number of city agencies. So in addition to Port Commission and the Board of Supervisors, we're of course working very closely with the fire department, with the city's real estate department, with uh, Mayor Breed's office, and as well as with uh, San Francisco Public Works, who ultimately will be designing and implementing the project. And again, we'll talk more about what the project is sh here shortly. I'm very happy to be joined today by Chief Janine Nicholson from San Francisco Fire Department, as well as Assistant Deputy Chief Thomas O'Connor, um, as well as Andrico Penick, who is the city's Director of Real Estate. Next slide, please. At this point, I'd like to invite Chief Nicholson. I'll turn it over to her to uh, cover cover the uh, the department's vision for a new training facility. Chief. Thank you so much, Jamie. Uh, greetings, Port Commission, uh, President Adams, uh, Vice President Wuho, and Commissioners, and my, my sister, uh, Director uh, Forbes. So nice to see all of you, and thank you very much for hearing this item today. <clears throat> um, I've had the honor of serving as uh, the Chief of Department for almost three years, and this project on, um, on day one was my top priority. And my staff and I have been looking for a large piece of land to build a state-of-the-art fire training facility for years. And uh, thanks very much to the hard work of uh, the Department of uh, Real Estate, Andrico, <laughs> and my team, uh, we have identified the Carroll Street property. Um, I really wanna thank um, uh, the port staff for such wonderful partnership on this project. Um, really, to put it in, in, in simple terms, commissioners, if we cannot train, we cannot do our job. Um, you know, we've seen an increase in call volume growing year after year. 
Um, we've seen the wildland urban interface fires all over the state that we must train and prepare for. Um, it, and that's no longer a seasonal response, but a year round task. And the fire department, we need to be nimble and ready, ready for whatever comes our way. Terrorist attack, earthquake, you name it, we have to be ready for it. And this fire training facility is critical for our city and our state. Um, you know, and, and with every fire station um, throughout our city, um, you know, we pride ourselves, um, you know, being part of the fabric of each neighborhood we serve. And we really hope we can be a good neighbor and become part of the community surrounding this property. Um, we have begun outreach to the community and I plan to speak with neighborhood associations to ensure they feel um, included and really understand what this facility will add to the area. Um, I think we can have um, some really wonderful partnerships. So I'm now going to ask uh, my chief of administration, Tom O'Connor, to present some slides that will show you um, sort of a brief description on what we do as part of our training and some programs that I am very passionate about to continue to grow at our new um, training facility. And I thank you so much for your uh, time. All right. Good evening, commissioners. I'm Tom O'Connor, Deputy Chief of Administration, and I'd like to present you a few slides on our need for a new training facility. Uh, currently, our Treasure Island facility is slated for demolition. And uh, we, our back is up against the wall trying to find somewhere to train our members. Uh, right now, we're the largest fire department and EMS provider in Northern California. And this state-of-the-art training facility that we're looking to build will serve as a, not only a regional training center, but also help us to serve all of Northern California's fire and EMS and incident command uh, and rescue training needs. Next slide, please. So we're gonna break it down into three sort of bite-sized morsels for you. Um, for fire suppression, the fire department requires three academies per year to maintain our staffing, and each academy has roughly 50 recruits. We also have mandated training required year-round for the entire department. And in order for us to maintain you know, our status and comply with the laws and standards, uh, we need a parcel of land large enough to house the following. We need multiple classrooms. We need training props for our Firefighter 1 and 2 course. We need urban search and rescue rubble pile. We need high angle rescue props. That's for our rope and cliff rescue uh, techniques. We need transit training props where we simulate BART and Muni rescues. We need room for an emergency vehicle operations course, as well as a California commercial driving course. We need an agency briefing room. We need an emergency operations center capabilities, somewhere to store our apparatus and equipment, a shop to repair all these items, and also a, a you know, an in-service training prop area as well. Uh, next slide. We also have roughly 80% of all the calls in our system are emergency medical calls. So for our emergency medical services division, we have roughly 300 employees broken down into two main components. We have our ambulance staff that responds out of our ambulance deployment facility. And we also have our growing community paramedicine division where we kind of call this EMS prevention. Um, we're trying to get out to our most vulnerable communities and populations before they become a 911 emergency phone call. So for all of this staffing, we'll, we'll need the following. We need room for our paramedic academies, as well as our paramedic reaccreditation. We need room for our EMT academies, as well as our EMT accreditation. We need room for rescue captain training. That's our paramedic supervisors. And lastly, we need room for our community paramedicine training, which 
is comprised of our street overdose response teams, our street crisis response teams, and our street wellness response teams. Next slide, please. We also host a bunch of local, state, and federal partnerships. Um, we're one of the only areas in Northern California that can teach fire departments from outside of the city of San Francisco, where we teach rope rescue technician courses, confined space rescue classes, rescue systems one and two. And we also have partnerships with local, federal, and state uh, agencies, such as the state fire marshal for our training, for a signatory on the master mutual aid agreement. Uh, we're also a partner with the Office of Emergency Services, and we staff five engines that go to all the wildland fires. Um, we also have the City and County of San Francisco Emergency Response Team, which is part of incident management training. And we're part of the Bay Area Urban Security Initiatives and the Training and Exercise Work Group. Next slide, please. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly going forward, this new facility, if it's approved, will let us delve deeper into our community partnerships, which are so valuable to us. So we have a lot of programs that encourage local troop youth and local residents to train and learn about fire and EMS in the hopes that can, they can get a career in public safety. So we have our city EMT program where we have our disadvantaged youth in San Francisco, who this was developed by Chief Nicholson along with some city partners. And we target and find residents of the community that look to find a career in public safety and we host them and train them and then enter them into our 9910 program, which is a public service training program where we pay them to get the requisite hours to become uh, paramedics and EMTs and hopefully have them again gain a foothold into the middle class by entering a public safety career here in San Francisco. We have our Black Firefighters Youth Academy, which we've been hosting for a long time. We have pre hiring orientations and preparatory academies for our candidates that need some more development. We have an annual girls fire camp, which is hosted by our United Fire Service women. And we're about to start with our fire candidate training center. It's a new testing system that allows us to target local residents, Bay Area residents, and again, train them to become firefighters, train them to become EMTs, help them become candidates on our entrance exams. Um, this facility also We'll be hosting our affinity groups comprised of the Asian Firefighters Association, our Black Firefighters Association, our United Fire Service Women, our SF Rescue, which is our LGBT group, Los Bomberos, and lastly, our Partners in Labor, Local 798. And also, we'll be hosting community events at this regional center, uh, job fair, CPR training, hosting community meetings, firefighting boot camps. So you can see this, this is not just a training center for our members, but it's also a training center for our residents and our youth and our community groups. And we really want to be part of, of the fabric of the local community and try to present pathways again into careers in public safety, into careers that can you know, give someone a toehold into the middle class. So thank you for your time. And we really appreciate you hearing this item. And if I could have the next slide, please. Um, and thank you, Chief Nicholson and, and Chief O'Connor. Um, for this for this next slide, I'd like to invite Andrico Penick, the director of the city's real estate department, um, to talk about the sort of site selection process that he went through with the fire department and the site assembly. Andrico, uh, thank you, Jamie, and good afternoon, President Adams and commissioners. My name is Andrico Penick. I'm the director of real estate for the city and county of San Francisco. Um, first, I would like to talk to you about site selection. We've been looking for a fire training facility for more than three years now. Um, as you might imagine, 
the the fire department needs a contiguous site of anywhere from seven and a half acres to nine acres. Such an animal doesn't exist in San Francisco. Every site that would be potentially available is already either developed or well on its way to being developed. Um, our three-year search took us as far as Brisbane and San Mateo County, trying to find acreage of the appropriate size. You might ask why this site and why uh, Port Property? Um, what drove that decision-making is that this is an assemblage, which basically means that we're taking property from two different property owners to assemble together to make a site big enough uh, for this project. Um, after repeated refusals from the adjacent property owner for lodges to entertain uh, a sale of their property, uh, they had a change of perspective and a change of heart. Uh, through diligent negotiations, we were able to secure a purchase and sale agreement for 4.9 acres, which is adjacent to the port property. We are right now uh, holding that property off market through a purchase option. That purchase option expires in May of this year. Uh, that purchase option has a signed purchase and sale agreement attached to it, and we're only waiting for the process to get the port property before the city moves forward. Due to reasons uh, regarding the state legislative calendar, we'll be going to the board to ask them to acquire the the prologist property at risk, i.e. before we get the final approvals from Sacramento. And I can explain a little bit more about that in a second. So it's the it's the proximity to the prologist site that makes the port site so valuable. With the 4.9 acres from prologist and the two acres, two plus acres from the port we would now have the assemblage that you see in the dotted box, which is approximately 7.5 acres, the minimum needed for this site. I really wish I could tell you that we had a plan B, um, but we don't. This is the only site that we've been able to identify. It's the only site that even through assemblage would meet the minimum standards for all of the essential activities that the fire department has just uh, described to you. Um, now I'd like to take just a few moments to tell you about the transaction. Again, we have a, um, a purchase and sale agreement and a purchase option with the private property owner next door. So that is basically um, those negotiations are completed. Uh, we have negotiated in principle uh, an MOU, which we've hoped that you will find acceptable with the port. Uh, that MOU uh, is, of course, conditioned upon the state legislature removing the trust to allow the disposition of this land. Um, the fire training facility will be paid for through ESER bonds. Those bonds require that we have a fire training facility for the life of the bonds. Those bonds have a 30-year life. So we can give you that assurance that one, not only would this site be used for a public purpose for the next 30 years and probably in perpetuity, but it'd be used for the fire training facility uh, that the fire department has already described to you. Um, we know that your approval is one of many steps that we need to take 
in order to um, get this to the finish line. But we're hoping that we will have your support um, uh, along the way. Lastly, I just want to share with you the legislative schedule uh, for our approvals with the Board of Supervisors. Um, and this legislative schedule was developed uh, in conjunction with uh, port staff uh, to sync up with the port and state approvals. Uh, we will be introducing legislation for the purchase of the Prologis sites and the conditional approval of the port sites in March 21st of this year. We hope to be in front of the Budget and Finance Committee on April 13th of this year. And we'll be going to the full board for their approval and conditional approval of April 19th of this year. If we get those approvals, we will be closing on the Prologis site uh, this May, just in advance of the expiration of our purchase option. It's the expiration of the purchase option, which requires us to go forward at risk because we've run out of time to wait for the state legislative process. Um, this concludes my portion of the presentation. I'd like to turn it back over to Jamie for further comments. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Andrico. Uh, next slide, please. Um, and so I've just got a few more slides, commissioners, that I'll try to run through quickly, but I wanted to get back to the port role in all of this in, our, in alignment with the port strategic plan. Um, so again, our role um, on the port side is, is essentially limited to we'll be facilitating the sale of the port property to the city at far, fair market value, um, and that fair market value will need to be um, confirmed by the State Lands Commission. I'll mention a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, in terms of our strategic plan, um, you know, the the funds that we will generate through that, that sale will contribute to um, the port's economic re recovery. I think that's a very important um, part of this. And in terms of sustainability, essentially, you know, this, this facility will um, really enhance emergency preparedness in our city and our region as the fire department has spoken to you about. Next slide, please. Um, talking, talk to you a little bit more about the legislative approvals needed and, and Andrico referenced um, the board process. So in terms of the local approvals, Port Commission and Board of Supervisors, um, those will facilitate or approve the jurisdictional transfer of the, um, of the property um, through the execution of an MOU between the city and the port and adopt CEQA findings. Um, there are also state approvals required um, as referenced. Um, we've been working very closely with the California State Lands Commission um, and their role will going forward will really um, be to confirm that the, again that the port will receive fair market value for the property. And then the state legislation that Andrico mentioned, um, state legislation is required um, for all of this and I'll speak more about that in a moment. Next slide, please. So I'm very happy to report that um, Assembly, Assembly member Phil Tang did introduce just last Friday, uh, this past Friday, a bill um, that would allow us to move forward with the envisioned sale of the port property to the city. And I wanted to just highlight the fact that this is not something that the port um, would enter into lightly and takes very seriously and that we've been working very closely with our partners at the State Lands Commission 
um, uh, you know, and and with um, the mayor's office, um, and now with uh, Assemblymember Ting and his office. Um, and I wanted to highlight um, some language, some verbiage from the bill that was introduced um, to again kind of highlight, um, you know, why we would why would we would consider this. And so if there's a finding within that legislation that says, and I'm reading this and you see it on your screen, the property has ceased to be useful for the promotion of the public trust and the Burton Act trust. The property was filled and reclaimed as part of a highly beneficial plan of harbor development, has ceased to be tidelands, is cut off from the water, constitutes a relatively small portion of the tidelands granted to the city, is not currently being used, and is not anticipated in the foreseeable future to be used, for public trust or Burden Act, Burden Act trust purposes. And the other thing I just wanted to highlight again from the legislation as it does require that the uh, that fair market value is paid by the city to the port for uses benefiting public access, use and enjoyment of the San Francisco waterfront. In other words, the money that, that the port will receive will um, go into the Harbor Fund and, and, and therefore be beneficial to the public trust. Next slide, please. And just to wrap up with anticipated next steps, um, tomorrow, port staff and, um, and our partners, we will be um, briefing the Port Southern Advisory Committee. And then um, later in a few weeks, probably in around mid-March, the MOU that Andrico described will be finalized. And we would, we would then bring that MOU to you for your consideration of approval. Um, and we're expecting to do that at your April 12th meeting. And then Andrico just outlined his schedule for then going to the Board of Supervisors with that MOU. And then in terms of the legislation, we are um, anticipating approval of that legislation in, in the fall, late summer, early fall. Um, State Lands Commission will have an approval role and the transaction will be um, completed once that um, is all done and the state law is signed into law and we can close on the transaction uh, in about a year from now. Next slide, please. And that concludes my presentation. We look forward to your comments and questions. Thank you, commissioners. Uh, thank you, Jamie. Uh, thank you, Chief Nicholson, Deputy Chief O'Connor and Real Estate Enrico. Um, Jenna, now let's open it up for public comment. Jenna will provide instructions now. Thank you, President Adams. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on item 8B. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. And we do have four callers on the line, so I will open the first line now. Good evening, Commissioner. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, we can hear you. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I apologize. My name is Don Buker, and I'm the uh, current president of Council of Firefighters Local 798. And I'm calling um, in support of this MOU and sale. Uh, Local 798 
have been working collaboratively with our administration, Chief Nicholson and Deputy Chief O'Connor, who have been working with real estate. But we also like to share the importance of this uh, facility and how it will benefit not just our members, but the citizens. As Chief Nicholson mentioned earlier, with our ability to train, we're not as effective or efficient for those that we serve. And this uh, the training facility is something that the voters under the uh, Easter bond voted to allow us to move forward. Um, as you know, real estate is hard to get up by. And now that we're able to get this location, uh, we're really looking for your support to allow us to move forward with this. Um, as I mentioned, Assemblyman King's office has introduced legislation to move us forward. And we're very optimistic that this not only be beneficial in this collaborative effort, like I said, for our members, but for the citizens, but uh, also specifically the Bayview Hunters Point community where they have a facility where they could see professional firefighters training there, interact with us, get to learn profession, hopefully entice more of them to move in there. So again, on behalf of uh, the members of Local 798 and myself, I ask you that you support uh, the sale of this property to the real estate department in our department. Thank you very much. Thank you, appreciate your comments. Next. Thank you, opening the next line now. So commissioners, uh, my name is Francisco de Costa and I'm the director of environmental justice advocacy. First and foremost, responders need an area or facility that does not adversely impact their health. The real estate division hasn't conducted an environmental impact report. And in this case, the most important thing to do is to get the samples from the soil. Borings, they're called borings. You don't need to be a rocket scientist that a lot of this land is prone to liquefaction. But in 10 or 15 years, will also be adversely impacted by sea level rise. Don't be foolish to go into a contaminated land. We already have a couple of doctors who are testing people in the vicinity. It's called biomonitoring, and those results can be given to the commission to do their own adjudication. Our first responders must not be put in harm's way on contaminated land, prone to liquefaction and sea level rise with signs on whatever small shoreline is there that warns people not to go near the water. 
try to figure out this madness that y'all are discussing about. Okay, I guess, thank you. Go ahead, next caller. Thank you. I'd like to remind callers, if you'd like to make a comment, please dial star three to raise your hand. Moving on to the next line. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, we can. Yes, we can. Hello? Yes, we can hear you. Hi, uh, my name is uh, Army Morgan. I'm a fire commissioner in San Francisco, and I'm a proponent for this uh, training facility. I think it's uh, going to be really needed uh, for uh, for uh, the future and to keep uh, growing the uh, fire department in San Francisco. And uh, it's a great opportunity for some of uh, the uh, younger kids in the Bayview, uh, and like the Chief Nicholson and Chief O'Connor talked about to uh, help, um, you know, uh, create equity and, and create, you know, diversity in the fire department and to continue to do that. And it will also create good union jobs, the construction jobs to build a site, which I am a member of the operating engineers as well. And this will uh, create good union jobs, uh, good construction jobs, and keep people working and supplement our uh, apprenticeship program and give uh, opportunities for work uh, for local hire in the Bayview. So I am a proponent. I think this is much needed um, with, uh, you, know, uh, the, you know, the natural course of things, uh, you know, people retiring, uh, we need to fill those spots need to bring in some young blood and, and God knows what's coming in the future. So I think we need to be prepared. And that's all I got to say. Thank you for your time, commissioners. Thank you for your comments. Thanks. Okay, we have one last caller on the line. Okay. Opening that line now. Okay. Commissioners, uh, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. My name is Steve Nakaja. I'm the vice president of the San Francisco Fire Commission. And with my colleague, Ari Morgan, as well as Commissioner Ken Cleveland, Commissioner Covington, as well as our president, Kathleen Feinstein, we support the proposed MOU between the port and the city real estate division. As a point of information, and so much appreciation goes to you, members of the port commission, but to the real estate division, but to all in terms of San Francisco that are trying to create this much needed state-of-the-art training facility. I've been a fire commissioner for 25 years now. I came in when the consent degree was first presented, watched the department grow in diversity in terms of gender as well as members of the community of color of San Francisco and beyond, gained the knowledge base in terms of the importance of suppression watched San Francisco in the last 25 years grow in terms of building inspections in all areas included with that. Our San Francisco and our city has changed a great deal. All of us know the effects of COVID and in terms of what our department has to respond to, but also we now are the state of the arts direct service providers in terms of every crisis program that's 
Chief O'Connell and Chief Nicholson talked about in terms of the street crisis teams and everything that you see in San Francisco every day in terms of what the need is in terms of homeless population or mental health or in terms of drug addiction as well. And there's no way that I'm trying to make some comment that all are the same kind of problems in terms of San Francisco. Each one is a definite demand in terms of our services, but the department needs to do that. And how we do that is with a training facility. And how we do that is we, we recruit members of our community throughout San Francisco to become paramedics, to become firefighters, to become inspectors. So we need to do this in the training facility. We were grateful for Treasure Island. That agreement now, as you know, is over. We need badly this next state. And we are in, as Commissioner Morgan made reference, in a change of state with retirements coming on with now a new generation of San Francisco firefighters, men and women. But we need to address the issues and concerns of San Francisco as we grow, as we try to recover through pandemic, as we deal with these social issues as well. I appreciate your time and thank you very much, Commissioner. Okay, any other callers? Seneca? President Adams, at this time, there are no other callers on the line wishing to make public comment. Okay, public comment is closed. Uh, I think I'm going to start with you, Senator Burton. They're, they're talking about the Burton Act. <laughs> and uh, it's about you, John Burton. And anyway, I wanted to say, Senator Burton, uh, what do yes. you think? Or my comment? Yeah, you're up. Oh, I just think Tom O'Connor's comments were absolutely great. <laughs> and tell me where we're having lunch. <laughs> is is that it, uh, Mr. Burton? Anything else? Well, you, well, you, very, this? you like this? Yeah, it's very necessary. necessary. Uh, were the were the where the firefighters are being trained now is kind of old and outdated. And I think they need some, you know, modern facilities. Okay. Thank you, Commissioner Burton. Um, Commissioner Gilman. Um, thank you so much for this informational. Um, I am supportive of this item. It will be supportive when it comes back to us as an action item. I just had one question. This is more purely a curiosity question for the director of real estate. Um, I was just curious when the city when the city looks to buy property, um, private or public, does it always negotiate and buy at fair market value? So I guess my question is: You're buying other property to make this deal work. We we will be selling our property to you fair market value to go to the Harbor Fund to help our community and the trust. What is um, Polaris also, is that just how we always negotiate as a city? Um, thank you for, for that question. Enrico Pennick, Director of Real Estate again. Um, the short answer, I guess, is yes, but it has a bit of a nuance. Uh, we always do an appraisal before we acquire property. Obviously, as good stewards of the city, we like to buy property at a little bit below fair market value if we can. We always try to negotiate the best deal possible. Uh, we rarely buy property over fair market value. And if we were to choose to do so, the Board of Supervisors has to make certain findings to show that buying property above fair market value uh, is in the best interest of the city. 
So um, hopefully that that answers your question. Absolutely. We did we we did a pray do an appraisal for both the Prologia side and the port side. Thank you so much. That absolutely answers my question, and, and I really appreciate it. And then I guess I just want to also just say um, thank you um, to to our firefighters. I never realized before this presentation that the street response outreach teams, the overdose team, the crisis response team, um, actually lived underneath the fire department. Um, and every day, those teams um, across the city are making such an impact. And hopefully, having this training center will help more and more of our residents go into those professions to. Um, to help their brothers and sisters who are suffering on the streets. So I just wanted to say thank you. And that concludes my comments. Thank you, Commissioner Gilman. Uh, Commissioner Brandon. Jamie, Chief Nicholson, Deputy Chief O'Connor, and Andrico, thank you so much for this report. I, I think that um, this, this will be a wonderful addition to the community. I guess my questions are around what is a training facility? Is it like one building, five buildings? What's the vehicle traffic? What's envisioned at this site? And thank you, Commissioner Brandon. I, I think I would probably turn that question over to the fire department and, and or Andrico, if you could um, speak to that, please. Greetings, uh, Chief Nicholson again, and thank you, Commissioner Brandon. I think uh, the last time I uh, was before the Port Commission, before the President. Um, but anyways, uh, so just a just a few weeks removed. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so our current um, training facility, we do um, so much there. Um, from firefighting to urban search and rescue in a in a um, pile of rubble, um, we have sort of a fake BART, BART station that we made for those kinds of drills, um, uh, ladder throwing drills, um, just uh, driving, all sorts of different um, props. There are also going to be different buildings there, one for classrooms and sort of administration, another one. Um, you know, likely a, a tower with um, maybe seven stories, five to seven stories. Um, so we can practice sort of our high rise kind of stuff. Um, there will be, um, um, you know, a, a building for um, the apparatus and the equipment that we have. Um, and, um, you know, we also want to include in um, the administrative building, um, uh, you know, locker rooms and, and facilities for our classes, as well as, um, you know, a meeting type of place with um, uh, that, that we can use for our city EMT program, our black firefighters for community meetings, et cetera. You know, and I've even, you know, fantasized about having, having someone from the community there, um, you know, open up a, a, a sort of a sandwich coffee place, you know, right at the edge of our, of our um, property. So we really do want to be involved in the community, but there are a lot of different um, sort of props that we um, will um, be building. You know, we also use the jaws of life to get people out of um, uh, uh, vehicles. Um, we also will have the most modern sort of, um, uh, we're going to be able to capture all the water that we um, utilize at these drills and reuse it. Um, and we will also have, um, the uh, most green um, facility for when we do have 
uh, uh, firefighting going on there. And so that it captures, uh, it captures the smoke and the toxins and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's, it's a seven acre facility. It's gonna have a lot of different pieces to it. Um, and, uh, and um, you know, I'm, 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 very, I'm very hopeful and very excited. In terms of traffic, um, you know, there will be um, people that, uh, you know, come to train um and uh so there will be some um you know uh some uh parking inside i would imagine certainly for apparatus um i i really don't know how much um traffic there will be but we do um certainly want to um uh be a regional asset thank you yeah i, I i'm just asking the question because i although i'm sure it's industrial land it's in a residential community so i'm just really wondering what the impact of this facility is going to be on the community and commissioner uh brandon if i could just step in and, and just mention because I, th I think i probably should have mentioned it during the presentation but there has been um you know environmental review has been completed for this project um so there's a, a mitigated negative declaration um that obviously you know addresses all of the impacts, including traffic impacts, parking, um, environment, potential you know environmental impacts of all of, of all kinds. Um, so, you know, we can certainly speak more specifically, um, you know, from that document to any concerns. I think that um, that you have or that the community members have. Again, we'll be meeting with the Southern Advisory Committee tomorrow evening. Um, and I'm sure we'll focus on a lot of those types of issues with them. Um, but just wanted to make clear that, you know, those things have been looked at. And I don't know if, Andrico, if, if you want to share anything more, you're more knowledgeable than I am about, you know, what what was, uh, you know, what's in that that document. Thank you, Jamie. And, and thank you for the question, Commissioner Andrico Pinnock, Director of Real Estate again. Um, a environmental review has been completed. It was completed at the end of last year. It was approved by the Board of Supervisors on February 8th of this year. Um, it was a mitigated negative declaration. Um, but speaking to your specific question with regards to traffic, uh, the major ingress and egress to this site will be along Carroll Avenue. As you know, Carroll Avenue is an improved street already. However, there are some additional improvements that the developer Five Points is supposed to make uh, to that street when their project uh, eventually comes to fruition. Um, but there will be uh, off-site parking uh, for the fire apparatus and the fire personnel. So all of our parking will be contained on site. Uh, we are planning to use Haas Street as the uh, turn off from Carroll Avenue. So uh, with part of that, design, we were trying to minimize curb cuts because I understand from President Walton that the community uses Carroll Avenue in the evening for additional parking uh, off of Alice Griffith. So we have been um, talking to the district supervisor and we have designed a project to address some of the concerns about traffic and parking. If I could go a little bit further than your question and just talking about uh, being that good neighbor um, that, that you referenced. Um, in addition to all of the community um, engagement that the fire department has, uh, I think the chief mentioned that this will be one of the greenest 
uh, fire training facilities uh, to be built. Um, there will be mitigations for both smoke and noise. Um, and since this is a training facility and not a fire station, it's not like there's going to be presence there 24-7 with sirens and lights going on in, all day and night. That we anticipate, and the chief can correct me if I go astray, that the majority of our training is going to be during the day, uh, during business hours. Uh, there may be some weekend trainings um, as required, but we're not looking at this as a 24-7 typical firehouse where you would have, you know, firefighters responding to emergencies. Um, so we think that uh, by design and by operation, we will be a good neighbor to the community. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. And I guess that leads to my next question as far as within the next year, who is actually responsible for that site? And you mentioned that street improvements were going to be done by five point, which could be another 10, 20, 30 years. So just wondering how all that works in with this. Um, if I could speak to that as well. Um, if you recall from the map that Jamie showed, it would think it was slide 13. Uh, there are two paper streets, Bancroft Row and Griffith Avenue. Uh, those paper streets will be upon uh, acquisition vacated and made part of the project site. Uh, Carroll Avenue and Hawes Street are outside of the project area, as is Armstrong, which is on the other side, um, parallel to Carroll. Um, Hall Street will be improved uh, to a level that would uh, support this facility. Carroll Avenue will remain basically in its current condition for Five Points development. And Armstrong, also being outside of the project, uh, will remain in its current condition. So we will be doing street improvements to Hawes in order to allow for uh, fire station uh, engine traffic off Carroll onto Hawes and then onto the site. Thank you. Thank you. No, I'm, I'm very supportive of this project. And if this training facility looks anything like the new fire station, uh, what is that, Pier? Pier 22 and a half. <laughs> yes. Fire, fire station 35. Yes, yes. Fire yeah. station 35. It will be a great asset to, to um, the community. And, and I think that with all of the activity and all the resources you're bringing, to the site will be absolutely wonderful. And so I'm truly supportive of this project, but I'm just with this project, I'm, I'm, I, I have a an item that I would for new business that I'd like Elaine to think about. And that is we have a lot of properties south of Islas Creek. And we only hear about this property when someone's interested in acquiring it. So I really love to see what we what is actually within our jurisdiction south of Islas Creek. But I am very supportive of this item. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Thanks, Commissioner Brandon. Uh, Vice President Wuha. You're on mute, Doreen. You're on mute. Oh, sorry. Thank you very much, Fire Chief, Deputy Chief, Andre, um, Jamie, for this great report. Um, I learned a lot about the fire department. And as I was listening to all of the components of what the fire department does, it's very impressive. In addition to all the things that you need in a training facility, 
um, I was just wondering how this site could accommodate all of that. Obviously, you know, you've done a lot of thinking. Uh, and I guess I'm just going to ask the question, will everything still be covered that you mentioned that you need for training in this site? Or will you still be using supplementary uh, sites as well? And you mentioned, seemed to me, Chief Nicholson, that there will be sort of more than one building. And so will this also mean the building? And I don't know if there's a schematic already in terms of uh, since you've already done your environmental review. So is there some sort of architectural rendering of what you envision here of uh, how tall the buildings will be? Just I'm just curious to know, uh, because it does seem, um, you know, seven acres is a good site, seven or eight acres, but still that's a lot of uh, things based on what you said to, to fit into that facility in a nice way. So I'm just wondering if it covers all your training needs and you know what types of buildings will be going in there because obviously you've all thought through this and there's already been an environmental review. So that's my question number one. Um, thank you, Vice President. Yeah, there are no um, uh, uh, architectural renderings at this point, um, but uh, you know, Public Works has done what we call fit tests for us to make sure that we can, um, you know, creatively um, put everything on that property uh, that we need. So, um, you know, uh, as I as I um, was alluding to before, there will um, you know be an, um, a building for administration as well as you know lockers and, and the like. Um, there will be a um, uh, uh, probably a six or seven story tower building, um, a, a place to store our apparatus. So there there are going to be you know several different um, uh, you know buildings on there, and um, yes. Uh, I believe they will fit, and I'm going to turn it over to um, Director Penick. Uh, good afternoon, um, Commissioner. Thank you for that question. Again, Enrico Penick, Director of Real Estate. We, we don't have architectural drawings. We've been working through the city's DPW department, and uh, we're trying to be judicious with our resources, so uh, we haven't uh, uh, paid for that. Um, but we do have the, the mitigated neck deck, and it did make some assumptions as to the layout of the um, of the facility, and I can I can just run through that list for you very quickly. Um, it is the mitigated neg deck assumed uh, one three-story, which is 50 feet tall uh, building, uh, one-story um, apparatus building, uh, one-story uh, maintenance building. Uh, as the chief mentioned, a seven-story training tower a four-story condo-like apartment building, which is actually a prop, it's not an actual building, it's to uh, help train firefighters. And then several structures, uh, which are, again are props, uh, mark a, a mock-up of a Victorian house, uh, commercial burn room, uh, a mock-up BART station. And, and these, these are maybe not to full scale, but again, just mock-ups to assist firefighters in their training. Um, I would also note that because of the topography of the area, this site sits about 20 feet, perhaps more, below grade from Alice Griffith. So even if you have a building that is seven foot tall, um, it is still a very much a low rise uh, when viewed by the residents up on the hill. So if you're concerned about um, waterfront views being obstructed, um, that was taken into consideration. Okay, and and also, um, if you could just tell us a little bit more in terms of the environmental review, we know we had a call that mentioned 
that their concern was contamination and liquefaction. And I'm assuming that that's been addressed. Maybe you can tell us how that's been addressed or when you come back for the final action that you give us more detail on that so that uh, we can feel good that we have, we, you know, everything that needs to be concerned with the state of the land as is, is going to be addressed or remedied in the next phase. Uh, again, thank you for that question, and it was an excellent one. The, the caller misspoke. Um, there was CEQA uh, done on this site. Um, I, I think I have the answer with regards to contamination. I'd have to get back to you on the issue of liquefaction. Um, as to contamination, uh, there were uh, some contaminants found in the soil, uh, but nothing that you would not expect to find in any industrial uh, site in San Francisco. This particular use is actually um, uh, sort of lends itself to encapsulation um, because the fire department doesn't have to go down, they go up. So we're basically going to be paving the site um, with uh, uh, impermeable barrier and then putting vertical development uh, above it, those buildings and props that I mentioned earlier. So. Um, I would have to go back and, and look, but I don't think that the environment, the contamination was a major finding in the um, mitigated neg deck only because of the proposed development. Okay, I, don't, I don't um, recall what it said about liquefaction, I'm sorry. I thought someone was trying to say something. Okay, I, I just wanted to sort of make sure that as, as, as the uh, owners and sellers of the land that we do pass it on in full disclosure if there are any issues. And since you'd already done the environmental review, I assume that these things would have been looked into already, but just for the record that we do at least uh, mention it and discuss it. No, that's public. an excellent point. And, and, and Commissioner, uh, we will be, um, we, we can certainly provide more details at, um, you know, at the next, um, at the action item. And, and as I mentioned, part of the, the resolution that you will be being, that you'll be asked to approve will include adopting CEQA findings. And so there'll be, um, those details will be spelled out in the resolution as well, but we can also cover it as part of the staff report. Thank you. I'm very supportive. I think it sounds like it would be great uh, for the city of San Francisco. Um, we do have an impressive fire department, and I think it'd be great for the community, as Commissioner Brandon said. So, um, very exciting. Just trying to cross all the uh, cross all the T's and dot all the I's here. Thank you, Commissioner. Anything else, uh, Vice President Wuho? No. Okay, thank you. Um, I'll just say, for me, uh, I'm seeing true leadership on display here today. You have the fire chief uh, Nicholson here. You have the deputy chief. You've had fire commissioners weigh in. You've had the union weigh in. To me, that's a united front. And I can speak to that being the president of a major union. And firefighters are frontline workers. They're, they're, they're real heroes. Even before COVID-19, they were out there. And myself, being the president of the International Longshore Warehouse Union, we're building training centers. And I know how important, and I know what the chief and the deputy chief is trying to do there's a new generation of workers. They have to uptick their skills. Uh, this is some heavy lifting, but this is something we really, really need to get behind because in any industry for workers, especially union people, 
things have changed. Mm -hmm. And I can see the chief's uh, vision and leadership here of taking it forward to uh, the diversity that she's, she's going outside the box. It's no box I can tell with her leadership right now. And I really, I really like what I'm seeing now. And, and I tell you, San Francisco needs a boost in the arm like this after what we went through with COVID. And to know that young people and, and all kind of a diversity of people can find good working class jobs. Because at one time, San Francisco used to be a working class city, and it's kind of lost that. And so many people have had to, to live here, move out of here. So this is so important that this thing gets built. We bring the next generation of firefighters, and they will just take things to the next level. And they'll just be so much better. And I, I'm really excited about what this is going to look. And I think this will add another dimension to our great city that we all live in here in uh, San Francisco. Chief, thank you so much because I've seen people come on and they'll send their second or their third. You've come here with your deputy. You're putting it on the line. I appreciate that. You're leading from the front and I really appreciate that. You're doing it silently, but you, you're leading and I appreciate you and Deputy Chief O'Connor coming and uh, the fire commissioners and the union and you're all on the same page. and. I'm really happy you're all rowing in the same direction. So you have my support when he comes back. Thank you so much, uh, President Adams and uh, commissioners. Much, much appreciated. All right. Carl, next item, please. Item number nine is new business. I have recorded two items for new business. One is to report on the properties port owned south of Isthmus Creek and discuss strategies for those properties. And the second is to come back on our leasing policies and ensure that we have uh, what we need in terms of financial stability um, and protection for port in those leasing policies for new tenants. Is there other new business? Uh, it's done. Commissioners, mm -hmm. if, if there's not any other new business, is there a motion to adjourn? So moved. I'll second. Carl, roll call vote, please. President Adams? Yes. Vice President Wuho? Yes. Commissioner Brandon? Yes. Commissioner Gilman? Yes. We are adjourned at 548. Good meeting. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week. Thank you. You too. See you, see you all in person. In yes. Person.